Amen. Good to see you all. Um, so as you can see at the back, there's plenty of veg. Okay, so please take it home. Okay, that's what it's grown for. It's grown for you. And, uh, you know, you have a thing called a freezer. So you can, you know, do things like chop it up, put it in your freezer and stuff. Um, remember, we're, we're doing this. This is all because prophetically we, we know that we're doing things for such a time as, as we're in now. Um, even the press are saying in, in the news at the moment with the, the droughts and the famine that's going on in Europe at the moment, that will affect the crops that come out into your supermarkets. You only remember a few months back where there was like whole shelves of like vegetables just not there. Okay, this is what it's for. So please use it. Hallelujah. And use it for the glory. And don't just think about yourself. Give, treat your neighbours or treat your family as well. Amen. Okay, right. So uh, today, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, if you could turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 9. And uh, we're going to look at verses just 1 to 3. So Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. We're living in very exciting times, but the trouble is most people don't realise it. <laughs> is it? Okay, it says this. Listen, obey, O Israel. You are to cross the Jordan this day to go in to possess nations greater and mightier than yourself. Cities great and fenced up to heaven. A people great and tall, the children of the giants whom you know and of whom you have heard say, said, who can stand before the children of Anak? Um, understand therefore this day that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you. He will destroy them like a consuming fire and he will bring them down before your face so you will drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Now our time, both first of all locally as a church of Exodus, is over. So I'm quite pleased to say that. I remember when, just prior to COVID, for about actually no, seven years before that, God started speaking to me a lot about Exodus, 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 everywhere I was going, it's Exodus, Exodus. And it's like Exodus, you know all that is, it's like getting out of one place and just roughing it in the wilderness for a long period of time until eventually you get to really where you really want to be. And so, you know, so for the last seven years, where have we been? We've, uh, we exodus to a school, didn't we, for a bit? And then we exodus to a field, and that was fun, wasn't it? Anyone, anyone remember the field? Yeah. yeah. See, you probably all have fond memories of it. I don't. So, so while, while you were all sat there in your deck chairs and stuff, having a great time, I was getting baked by the sun, I was getting rained on, I had hail, snow, sleet, all sorts of stuff. So I have a very different perspective of the whole thing. But it was, you know, it was a transitory place. Then God blessed us with this building. But also now, as from this week, uh, well, actually, no, the week just gone now because Sunday's the beginning of the week, isn't it? So this week, just previous, uh, we've submitted now our planning application for our big barn project on our field. OK, so that's finally in now. So your prayers on that project, needs, you need to know that the enemy is already contesting it. How is the enemy contesting it? Because guess what? The, the, uh, the uh, Southern Water Board have decided that they want that field as well. Now, they could have any field in all of Hampshire, but they want that one. And they want to put this massive, th uh, you know, massive water tower there as a water pumping plant. And they want pretty much to take over the whole field, uh, even though they'll take a bit of it for their water plant, which will be a large part of it, which will be actually be the plot where we're going to build our building. 
uh, then they'll still want it for a whole year to themselves uh, so that they can turn it into a building site to build their thing. So of all the fields, you know what I mean? Everywhere, you know, in Great Britain, of all the fields in all of Hampshire, there's even one next door that's doing nothing, absolutely nothing. They want that one. So it's always, to me, a good sign, it's like, we're on the right track then, because the fact that the enemy doesn't want us to have that field is a pretty good indicator. I mean, the fight to get this building, I mean, I could tell you some stories that were just like, really? Yeah, really. Every single time. So as a Christian, I don't, when I see satanic attack or I see satanic resistance, I don't go, oh, no. I go, great. That means we're on the right track. So now we need to press on and pray. So also this week, uh, just gone, arrived, was our prayer shack which is like a 20 by 18 building. It's actually a stable that will be all built and look very pretty and stuff. And that's a place on the land to pray for that building project that it gets done. Amen. So we need teams of people to be up there praying and stuff. We've got to take this seriously because the enemy's taking it seriously. And so we need to be preemptive and we need to hit back. Amen. And hit back hard and make it hurt. So, um, so I believe in many respects that our exodus is over locally, but also... For the church in general, I think the exodus in this, in this nation, the, the church is moving out of exodus now and it's time to move into the promised land. Now, that all sounds great and glorious and fun, right? No, it really isn't. So you've, you've, lived, in a, you've lived in the wilderness, you've adapted yourself to it. It's been fun. It's, well, not it's been fun, but you know, it's been hard. I mean, the last 40 years, 30 years of Christianity, okay, has been pretty tough. Actually, you've seen numbers over the nation decline. You've seen churches decline. You've seen churches shut down. Okay, life in the wilderness is tough. It's not an easy place to to exist. But God doesn't want his church to survive in these days. He wants it to thrive. But I believe now God is saying time church to get up, get off the old mentality of being in the wilderness and start moving into this promised land. Well, what is this promised land, Chris, I hear you saying? The promised land which God has promised to our forefathers, the revival that uh, our church fathers have promised that's coming, that's coming, that's coming, that even they never saw in their lifetime. We are going to see it very, very soon. We are on the cusp of something amazing. But the church needs to pack up her stuff and get ready to take the promised land. But let me tell you something about the promised land. It's full of other people who don't want you in it. All right, They don't want you in it. And, and the enemy has done his best to keep that land for himself and has done his best to diminish us and to shrink us down. And the last thing he's going to let us do is just walk into our promised land. You're going to have to fight. Amen. There's two people. Hey Amen. I'm not really sure about this. I don't really want to go into the promised land. Okay. <laughs> You've got to fight. I mean, and so there is going to be a war on. And, you know, we're, we're in our nation right now, the topography of this nation. Everything is changing. Everything is changing. In the next couple of years, man, you are going to see some things that are going to shock and awe us. You know, a few weeks ago, God gave me this uh, prophetic word called the Jenga block prophecy. Does anyone know what Jenga block is? It's like a stack of blocks and the idea is you've got to pull a block out and then put the block on top without the whole thing falling out. But the picture I saw was God very inconveniently just taking the most worst thing you could take out and just pulling it out and the whole thing coming down. And the block that he took out had housing market written on it. 
Um, now, you might think, Chris, why, do you, why are you preaching these kind of things? These are not comforting sermons that make me feel good about myself and I can just go out with a smile on a Sunday and enjoy my day. Why, why do you bother me with these scary sermons? What would you rather? Would you rather that God wraps us all up in cotton wool and then suddenly the day of calamity happens and we're all caught with our trousers down wondering, my God, my God, why do you forsaken me? Why have you not warned me? Or... I kind of knew this was coming. I'm kind of spiritually prepared for this. We're kind of doing stuff as a church to help uh, take some of the burden and the strain of this when it comes. So would you not rather that? And would you rather not be in a place where you can then turn around to your neighbours and say, yeah, we kind of knew this was coming. How did you know this was coming? Because God told us it was coming and we've been preparing for it and we know it's coming. We're prepared in ourselves and in our minds and our spirits and practically and stuff like that. And then you can be ahead of the curve and you can start being the beginning of the curve of people getting saved in this nation. Because at the moment, people don't want to get saved because they've got everything they need, thank you very much. But when you pull that rug out and they've got nothing that they need, then they're in trouble. And they need to know that you guys have the answer, amen. Okay, they can't come in here and see us all running around like headless chickens and thinking, oh, how are we going to survive? How are we going to survive? Because they'll just walk straight back out the door again. Man, those guys have got no hope either. That's not, that's not good advertising for the church. Amen. Hallelujah. And why are these things coming to our land? Just people say, why does God have to do this? Well, come on, let's be obvious about this. I mean, why do you think God is going to do this? Any guesses? I mean, you know, some of the policies that our government has brought upon this land, this, this sleuth of filth of, of this woke agenda that's come through, churches that have allowed this, or churches that have chosen to say nothing, thinking that's as probably good as I'm going to get in, in putting my hands up against this. That's not good enough. There are a lot of churches who have allowed this to come in. And our economics, you know, we have um, lots of major companies, banks, etc., that are bankrolling Stonewall and holding up their agenda. You've heard about loads of people getting their bank accounts cancelled because of their, their political views or their uh, Christian views. I mean, has there any been a time well, in my life anyway that I've ever seen this done? I've never seen banks think that they have the right to shut down people's bank accounts because politically you don't agree with our woke agenda. What kind of world are we living in? Yeah. Amen. So I believe we're, we're heading for a nasty economic collapse. Oh, this sounds all totally, terribly scary. But actually, this is nothing new. This has all been done before. We've been here before. This has all happened. I'll give you an example. I've mentioned this guy before, but in 1857, there was this gentleman called Jeremiah Lanfear. And uh, he was uh, a local kind of uh, church leader. And at that time, because things were going on in the railroads, you know, when America was building the railroads across America, well, that kind of all dried up. So the big money, the big businesses, etc all the money was drying up and consequently lots of churches were shutting down because people couldn't afford to tithe or anything like that so the churches were shutting down so this was a problem so what he decided to do was well I'm going to start a prayer meeting for businessmen in New York City so he put out loads and loads of flyers he said hey guys what we're going to do once a week we're going to meet on a Monday at 12 o'clock in this like little little hall somewhere and so then comes the big eventful day and uh, in good form Six people turned up. Amen. That's that's very typical of the church today. Woo! Six people. Man, you guys are rocking it. So six people came. And then a few weeks later, 40, then 60. But but then he began to realize actually this is just not enough to be able to do what you know, pray into what's coming. And then so they then did it to every single day. 
And uh, what happened then? So um, then on October the 14th that year, the stock market collapsed, banks closed and the whole country descended into the worst financial collapse and crisis it had ever seen. And then guess what happened? Those prayer meetings, man, they were full. They were so full that every, at lunchtime in America, on Monday to Friday, every single public room, bar, tavern, whatever room was available was absolutely chock-a-block full. The whole city of New York. And people out on the streets praying because there was nowhere else left to pray. Okay? Now, when, when a nation starts to do that, that's when heaven starts to listen. And, uh, you know, there were no controversial topics, just laymen leading the meetings and people would write and speak out their prayer requests, etc. And then people started to cry out for, uh, for the sins, for their sins and the sins of the nation and started crying out for the broken families and the state of the nation and God to help them in their dire situation. But then this was in the papers and it got as far as Philadelphia, etc. further up, I think, than the northern end of America. And so then suddenly Philadelphia started doing it. Then Chicago started doing it. And all the northern cities in America started doing it. To the point where the whole of the nation of America, from Monday to Friday, and of course then on Sunday, were praying en masse. Uh, no, this is not a Catholic thing, by the way. It's, it's anyway, praying en masse, all right, in these prayer rooms, uh, just thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. All right. Hallelujah. A whole nation praying. When was, you know, we didn't see anything like that until a little bit later when we had the Second World War, you know, in the battle for Dunkirk. And you think all the saints that were praying in this land and the miracles that happened on the battle of Dunkirk, etc. You see, prayer happens. And then when they prayed like that, then came, it was really kind of the end of the second, was known as the, the, uh, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, which led into the first wave of the spirit. Uh, where suddenly lots of signs and wonders and healings started taking place. And that in part came about through the whole of America praying. And during that time, God did some wonderful things. The church just exploded. People were getting saved all over the place. There was tent top crusades, all sorts of stuff. And of course, then we get to the 1930s and then we have the, um, the, the big stock market collapse, Wall Street collapse, which we're probably more familiar with, with the 30s and 40s. And again, the church exploded and just ripped across America. Okay, so what am I saying? I'm saying that in difficult days and in difficult times, this actually is the opportunity of the church. Instead of running and hiding and putting our head in the sand, this is the moment that we've been waiting for because this financial collapse that's coming will wipe the slate clean. For the first time in a long time, the church will be in a place where we have a voice and what we say will matter to the people. And we will be, I tell you now, this place will be full of people praying. Hallelujah. Okay, it will be packed. It will be plaqued, glory be to God. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Not the stock market collapse, obviously, but the prayer meetings. So what does our promised land look like? Well, as I said, it's a land of giants. Okay, It's got lots of enemies in it. It's got lots of people who are already living there, thank you very much, and don't want the inconvenience of you and me coming in and spoiling their fun. But we have to go in and take that land. Um, earlier this week, God gave me this other prophecy, and it was based around um, Nehemiah when they're rebuilding the walls. And so these guys have to rebuild the walls. They've got a sword in one hand and a trowel in another. Okay, And that's how it has to be with the church in the days to come. So the sword represents our, uh, I think, our prayers. yeah, And then the trowel represents working to build the body of Christ, building the church up. It's going to be a lot of hard work. 
Amen. It's going to be hard work. Hallelujah. Who's up for a bit of hard work? Yeah, all right. Especially when you see it for the kingdom of God. Oh, I'm so tired today. I want to take a day off. No, we have got to build the church of Christ. Hallelujah. And what a privilege and what an honor to be in these days to see what we're going to what we're going to see it, what we're going to see. And so what is this promised land? And I believe, again, what I think God has shown me is that he's going to bring this land back into its Judeo-Christian roots a land that's in revival and a land that's in renewal. Now, this isn't going to last forever. This is only for a short period of time only. This is a special offer, limited only, you know, for a short period of time only before we come into another season. But I personally believe that the church is, is the thing is, I don't think she's poised, if I'm honest with you. She is not poised for these days in which we're coming into because, quite frankly, most churches don't care, don't know, don't want to know what's coming. Amen. They just like got a head in a bucket of sand and they're just denying that, it, that, that it's happened. And this is what really, really breaks my heart. It's like, actually, no. You know, the church traditionally has always been on the cutting edge in society with things like this. You know, you look at things like the Salvation Army. Now, in the days of the Salvation Army, you had the government which were allowing child slavery, children to go to work. And they also allowed child trafficking to Europe. Okay, some terrible things were going on, but it was the Salvation Army that did what they did and the power behind what they did in their prayers and everything else that they were doing that forced Parliament's hand to change the law on many things. So you didn't have children making these certain types of matches with like this phosphorus solution, which would literally just rot their skulls in their heads, etc. You didn't. It stopped child trafficking. It stopped all these things because people stood up and made a difference. Where do you think hospitals came from? It came from monasteries and abbeys. Where do you think schools came from? It came from monasteries and abbeys. Where do you think building societies came from? It came from Christians. It, all of these things have come from the church. When they were in the darkest times of societal uh, upheaval, they became not culturally relevant. Hey, look at me, I'm so cool, I'm a Christian, yeah. They became culturally, not culturally relevant, they became countercultural in the sense of this is the way everyone's going, we're going to do the exact opposite and we're going to be the answer to the problem and we are going to be a blessing to these people. Hallelujah. Amen. I mean, when you look at the beginnings of the Salvation Army movement, I mean, I remember reading the story. I think it was, um, I can't remember what it's about. It was a book about the origins of the Salvation Army. And uh, who, who, what were the founders' names? Does anyone remember? Yeah, William Booth. That's it, William Booth. And what was his name, his wife's name? Anyone remember? Catherine, I think it was Catherine. William and Catherine Booth. So William Booth was walking down the street and, it, and because things had gotten so bad in society, there were literally uh, mothers dying in the gutter with their babies. Um, you know, and, and men were just addicted to alcohol and, and, and the households were stuck in poverty because the husbands just took all the money and got drunk. And you had children out on the streets and all this kind of stuff. And they're just walking down the streets. And it's like, this has got to stop. Someone's got to do something here. And at the time, the Church of England, for example, weren't really interested because they would, and this is not a, a, a being nasty to them, but this was just what, what it was at the time. You know, you had the Church of England, like, well, we only want rich people in our pews and they can pay for their names on the pews, so they can pay for a seat. This is not radical Christianity. Radical Christianity is doing what the Booths did, where they saw the need and they did something about it. Amen. And so we're coming into a time in history where great need is going to be presented and we have to be the answer to the solution. And you might think, well, it's just little old me, Chris. Exactly. Little old you can't really do, do much. But little old us 
can do a lot. Amen. We can do a lot if we do it in community as opposed to this whole kind of I'm a superstar for Jesus. I'll just do it by myself because <laughs> there's no room for that anymore. So this is the, this is where we're going to. Um, and so we have an opportunity to take this nation from a goat nation and make it into a sheep nation because we are living in a, an aggressively woke secular society. Uh, and this nation come, needs to come back to being a sheep nation, a nation that comes back to God in repentance and lifestyle. But what are the weapons of our warfare? Our weapons of warfare are not machine guns, are not placards and slogans, but our warfare is spiritual. It says in uh, is it 2 Corinthians 10, 4, you know, our weapons are mighty through God for the tearing and pulling down of strongholds. And so the, the greatest weapon that we have in these days is love, hope, faith, prayer. Yeah. And through those weapons, we, we can do anything. We can do everything that we need to do. Like I said, this war is not going to be won with swords and clubs. It's going to be won, uh, it's going to be won sorry, on the knees of humility, on a people that actually pray. I cannot stress enough that, that this nation is going to be rebuilt on the backs of the prayers of this nation. Yeah, we have to be a people that pray. That is, there is no way around where we're going. Uh, you know, things that I believe the Lord has shown me that prayer is so key in the days ahead. Without prayer, you're not going to make it. It's as simple as that. We have to become a people that pray. Hallelujah. And really cry out and really, you know, call out to God. Does it not say in 2nd in Chronicles 7, if my people will humble themselves and pray and I will hear their prayers in heaven and I will turn and I will heal their land. And this land needs healing. It is full of atrocity. It is full of abominations. This land is defiled with the filth of our nation and the governments and the things that they put into our schools and the things that they're teaching children. It's profane. It's terrible. It's terrible that the abuse that we're doing to our children in the name of left fundamentalism, left wing fundamentalism. It is a dangerous time in which we're living in. Really dangerous. Hallelujah. But I don't think God's going to allow it to go much, much, much further. We're going to see some incredulous things. We're going to see the likes of Stonewall crushed. Uh, unfortunately, I think our government's going to fail in these days. Uh, Woken liberal churches will fall and God will wipe it clear for us. You know, but this is no funny. This is not fun. I mean, how do you think the, 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 um, the, the, uh, the Israelites felt when they were in Egypt, in Goshen, and they saw all the punishments coming down on the Egyptians? I mean, how do you think they felt about that? That couldn't have been nice watching that. Because no matter what we think looking in on that story, there must have been, because we know from biblical accounts that a lot of Egyptians left in the Exodus with them. That therefore implies that probably a lot of Egyptians were friendly with the, with the Israelites as well. So knowing, you know, because there were a lot of um, um, Egyptian slaves as well. So knowing that all of that punishment that was coming on all of those people could not be nice to witness as an Israelite either. You won't just sit and go, yeah, give it to them, Jesus, give it to them, God. It wasn't like that. You know, and, and even when they left, I mean, leaving Egypt and everything that they've known coming into moving on out of there and moving towards this potential promised land must have been really quite upheaval, must have been an upheaval and quite frightening. How are we going to eat? How are we going to drink? We've got to go right out there in the wilderness. Are you insane? Do you know what it's like out there? You, you, we're not trained for this. We're not, we're not prepared for this. We, we don't have desert life experience you know we, we we're here we're fed we're tended for 
it is a scary it is a scary place where we're going to because there's lots of what ifs there's lots of variables but you know what do you know what happened to lot's wife bless her when she she was told look get out of here but do not look back okay now in the greek for to be the greek word for terrified is where we get the word petra from so it's to be petrified turned into rock so lot's wife turned around and saw what god was doing to to her nation and to her people and petrified her literally turned her into a pillar of rock salt she was instantly petrified okay and that's exactly what the church doesn't want that's exactly what god doesn't want his church to be you can't be petrified you can't be like Ugh! at what's coming you can't do a peter where you're walking on the water and you're doing the impossible you're doing the miraculous but keeping your eyes fixed on jesus and then you start looking to the left and to the right and seeing all this stuff going on around you because what you will do is you will get the wave of fear will come over you but god doesn't want the wave of fear to come upon you you know he hasn't given you a spirit of fear he's given you a spirit of love joy peace and of a sound mind so that you can endure he's he, he is he is from above so that we are above we don't have to go down with everything else we don't go down with a ship we don't go down with a titanic we're the lifeboats for the titanic praise god amen we're the solution we're the answer we are christ's body on the earth we're the only ones that can give people the message of salvation we're the only ones that can lay hands on the sick and seal them see them recover we're the only ones that have the love and the compassion of god nobody else is going to do it for you only me and only you hallelujah we don't have to wait for the Smith Wigglesworth. We don't have to wait till the Billy Grahams. Man, this is going to be on the ground. This is like, we're all in this. We've got work to do, hallelujah. Get your sword in one hand, get your trowel in the other. But I don't want to, never mind. And we're all going to go out there and we've just got to do it because there's work that needs to be done. And God is faithful. You know, every jot and tittle that you do for Jesus, everything that you've done, every kind word, every good thing, and every good deed that you've done on behalf of Jesus in these days will be written down in the books of life. Now, God will not forget these things that you've done. You know, there's some people here, you might think, well, I'm old now, you know, there's not much in me. That's rubbish, okay? And here's another thing. God remembers everything you've done in your life, every sacrifice that you've done for him, every prayer that you said on behalf of a move of the Spirit has been remembered, amen? Because God is faithful and he's, in, he's a debtor to no, to no man. He will give you the reward that, 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 and our God is a generous God as well. So whatever it is he's going to reward you with, Okay, it's going to be far beyond what you think you're going to get. Hallelujah. So we're going to get through this. And do you know how many times the Bible says, do not be afraid? 365 times. That's one for each day. So every day God is saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Amen. Do not be afraid. Now, I know that might be difficult to think. But there's actually, we as a church have done a lot to protect people and to help people. We've still got more to do, but we have done a lot. That's why we've got the fields growing all that food. That's why we've got 20,000 pounds worth of food in storage, etc. So that if you don't need to go hungry if things go really bad, okay? That's what it's there for. It's there to help you. It's there to protect you, praise God, so that you can get on. Because, you know, if you're an army and you're going out on the front lines, that army needs to be well fed, right? Okay, you can't be an army without having a supply of food. And hey, guess what? You're the army. And so we've got lots of food for you. So you'll be nicely fed so you can go on the front lines with your sword and your trowel. Amen. I can tell you're really looking forward to this. Hallelujah. So have faith, only believe. 
Now here's another encouraging. God is raising up Joseph's in this day to help and look after the church from a financial famine. Joseph was raised up in his day, why? To protect Israel. That's why he was placed there. He was placed at the highest position in, in, uh, next to Pharaoh himself in the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt was blessed as well. God blessed his people and through that, Egypt was blessed as well. And so we're here, God is gonna protect us, but our job is also to be a blessing to Egypt. God is going to raise up Daniels and Esthers uh, in this day to help the church, I, th I believe, in the political realm as well. We need good people like Wilberforces, etc., who were in key positions of power to help this nation and to help the church and to help his people in difficult and dark times. I believe that God is going to raise up Deborahs in this day into key positions of power in media and law to help the church through these dark days as well. I believe God's going to raise Joshua's to help fight for the people of God and take new territory. Remember, Joshua was the younger one who went in and took the land and he led the people into land. But Joshua was different from Moses. Moses was a prophet. Joshua was a warrior. OK, so he had a little bit more fight about him, whereas Moses was a lot more pastoral. So there God's going to raise up Joshua's as well. People, probably young men and women who are just really like, let me at them, let me at them. And they're just going to go in there and they're going to get into that promised land and they're going to take territory and take it back off the enemy and give it to God. Now, God, uh, through my through my look, searching of throughout church history, God has always raised up church generals throughout church history all of the time. He's never left the church without a powerful voice and without a powerful witness so that we can be strong in difficult times and times of adversity all the way through history. And even if you don't know much history, read your Bible. It's all in there too. Every time great things began to happen in history, God put his man and he put his woman in place. You know, Esther, you know, classical story of such a time as this, you know, she was placed there to literally save Israel. Daniel was there to literally save Israel so that Israel would leave Babylon and go back to Israel. You know, you look through all of these stories, God will raise his man and he will raise his woman, uh, women in those days. Hallelujah. Well, now, I don't know about you, but I find that encouraging. And the flood is coming. So uh, who's here good at surfing? Because that's what, man, you've got to be ready with your surfboard. When that wave's coming, yeah, don't let it crush you. You just like, whoop, get on that wave. And everybody is surfing, surfing the UK. Do, 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 do. Okay, so you've got to be on that wave. You've got to ride that wave to what is coming. Hallelujah. Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that you will help your church to be awake in these days of which we're coming into, Lord. I pray that your church will wake up prophetically to the signs of the times in which we're in, Lord Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that your church will be strong in these days and not weak, Lord God. And I pray, Father, that you will teach us to, Lord, to carp diem, to seize the day, Lord Jesus, to seize the day, Lord God, and to take every opportunity as it arises to show the love and the compassion of God to the poor and the needy, but also to show forth signs and wonders to lay hands on the sick and see the sick recover and to preach your glorious gospel, Lord God, so that your kingdom may be established upon the earth and, Lord, that you may have an inheritance of Gentiles in your kingdom. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus and we thank you for it. And all the saints said, Amen. 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 Hallelujah.